Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Introspectives episode. I'm Adrian. I'm joined by my co-host, Claire. And our Hi. guest today is my sister, Marissa. As I said, it's, it's just really nice to have the three of us in this digital space. And obviously, because you two are sisters, this should be a really interesting conversation. So yeah, Marissa, just to start off, can you tell us about your career experiences? Like, how did you end up on your Korean career path? And like how, how have they changed? Yeah, so um, originally, I I think I actually probably had a very typical kind of Asian diaspora experience in that I originally wanted to study art going into university. And uh, my parents were like, what? No, study something sensible. So I ended up studying computer science, which I do love. And actually, you know, I think for a lot of people, when I say that I went from studying fine art to computer science, they think, what, what is the relationship there? But, you know, there is a strong connection, actually, in the sense of the design process that you kind of the thinking process that you bring to it and the kind of creation aspect of that. So I think that's always kind of been part of whatever I do. And so after graduating from Smith and computer science, I came to Scotland to study artificial intelligence. Um, so I did a master's here in AI and then ended up working in software development for quite a number of years um, and then kind of started moving more towards the design side and getting more into that. And so I've kind of come full circle. So I've come back and done recently a degree in design at Glasgow School of Art. And now I am working as a researcher at Glasgow School of Arts with the Digital Health and Care Innovation Center. So I've just started doing that. So that's a new thing for me. Wow, what what an interesting journey. You've kind of just like been all over the place and congrats on your new role. That's so exciting. Thank you. All right, I'll hand it over to Adrian. So, I mean, obviously I know already about your career path and stuff. In a way, I think it's kind of funny because we sort of had the opposite paths where I started with engineering and then went to liberal arts, whereas you started in more of an art field and then went more of a science field. So I think, so I don't know, it's just interesting how our experiences have kind of mirrored each other from the same family. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I think in both cases, there was probably more pressure for both of us to take the what was perceived as the sensible career path but obviously younger child you broke free from that live free I support yes. you thank you so much for paving the way for me to do what I wanted to do <laughs> on that so what about can you tell us about navigating within different cultures so for example how have your perspectives changed from uh, from Taiwan to the United States and to the UK? I think it's really interesting, actually, because kind of perceptions of race are really different um, in the UK compared to the US. Um, I think just because of the kind of the history of both countries, the fact that in the UK so much racial tension has happened overseas in colonies it's not um, as apparent to people so that same kind of immediate history so i think it's very interesting that in the uk people tend to not be as aware of race and aware of kind of 
potentially racial differences and tensions, but that doesn't mean that they aren't there. But yeah, I just find it quite interesting. Like, for example, in the US, if somebody asks me, where are you from, right? They mean, I can tell that you're not white. And so where is your family from? What is your ethnic background? Whereas in the UK, when people say, where are you from? They mean, I can tell that you're not from the UK. Where are you from? You know, like what country are you from? Like where I can tell that your accent is is not British. And so you must be not from here kind of thing. So it's just very interesting that there is that kind of difference. But I don't think that means that there's that racial tensions like in the UK are kind of less, um, although on the surface, they kind of are not as apparent. So I've just found that really interesting, I guess, coming from the US where I think like there's, it's so much more diverse and that kind of diversity is much more to the forefront coming to the UK where there's, it's much less diverse kind of differences in the way people kind of perceive you and treat you as a result of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I think there's kind of advantages and disadvantages to both types of mindset, right? You know, like, is it better to talk about it, but then have conversations that maybe get more incensed? Or, you know, is it better to try to like, you know, have more of a... or a collaborative type of effort where, you know, you just try to work together and not talk about it as much, but then you aren't really addressing the underlying patterns and feelings, right? So it's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think that not talking about things doesn't necessarily indicate a collaborative mindset. It's more just that it's not discussed, but something, sometimes you need to recognize something in order to overcome it right so Mm. it doesn't necessarily resolve it it just means that people don't talk about it as much so I, I just I've always found that really interesting because I think that people in the UK tend to think of themselves as being really different from people in the US which in many ways they are but in many ways they're also very similar so it's just funny how the these kind of perceptions of oh we're totally different from those those other people, and I guess for myself, who's kind of experienced both sides, you see more of the the similarities. Whereas I guess, yeah, when I first moved here, more of the differences were apparent to me. But now you kind of start to see so many ways in which people are the same, I guess. So that's just, um, yeah, it's just always been really, really interesting for me. Do you think that there's like less of a vocabulary to talk about these types of issues in the UK? compared to the US. I know that um, Borom and I have talked a lot about like, you know, how vocabulary such as like microaggressions has really helped us pinpoint some things or some feelings that we might have. Whereas maybe when we were younger and these types of words didn't exist, we weren't really able to put into words like things that were bothering us. Do you think that there's kind of like, I don't know, that, that these types of words are commonly used in the UK as well, and that you're able to, that you can put your feelings into words, or is there kind of a block there as well? I'm not sure. I mean, I think, I guess I would probably feel that it's not totally dissimilar from from the US in terms mm-hmm. of the vocabulary. And I think, I guess I wouldn't want to as well underplay any of the kind of hard work that's been done by kind of activists in the UK to kind of highlight some of these issues. So I don't think it's necessarily that people, that there isn't a vocabulary or that people don't know about it, but there's maybe also perception of, oh, but that's for that other place. 
you know, mm. this, is, this is to describe things that are happening elsewhere, things that are happening here. Here, everything's fine. It's those other places, you know, that, that are that are having these issues. And that's where this vocabulary is coming from. Mm. Um, and obviously, yeah, there's many people that are aware of these issues and, and um, working you know, to, to change things. So I'm not trying to definitely say that nobody's recognizing it or doing anything about it. But I think I just find it always interesting that the general perception does seem to be, oh, but not here, you know. Mm, yeah. We're from the U.S. and things are so different over over there. And here we don't have those problems kind of attitude. Yeah. And I, th- I really actually I felt that type of attitude when I was in like East Asia as well. You know, this kind of perception of like, oh, well, race is more of a problem in the U.S. You know, we don't have those types of problems here. Although, of course, those problems are everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I think it's like really interesting as well, because there's a similar thing about kind of, I think, like LGBTQ rights as well in East Asia, Mm -hmm. that there can be this non-recognition. And it's like, well, it's okay because we just don't talk about that. And it's like, well, you just don't talk about it. That doesn't mean that people have those rights or that they're that they're living equally. It just means that we just maybe don't discuss some of the issues that people are having. So there's kind of a, a non-recognition, which means that it's not that people are like that hate groups are breaking down your door, but it's also maybe not that you're also not getting recognition and therefore some of the equal rights that you could be getting otherwise. Going off of that, I remember, so you were talking about how when you're in the States, people usually say, where are you from? And they mean like that you look non-white, whereas in the UK, they kind of mean about your accent. So do you feel like that has changed how you perceive yourself? Like, do you feel, did you feel like you were more Taiwanese when you were in America and now you feel a little bit more American or do you feel like it's always been the same? Like, what does being mixed mean to you and how do you kind of see your own identity? Well, I think, uh, I guess I'll start by answering the first question, uh, which is yes, absolutely. I mean, I never don't think I ever thought about being American when I lived in America. And then it's only when you leave that you realize what it means to be American, because obviously when you leave, everyone recognizes you as being an American. So I think, yeah, I never really thought so much about that when I lived in the U.S. There were definitely a lot of things I didn't realize about the U.S. when I lived there, like politics and so on, that looking back when you look at it, you're like, oh my God, that was just a crazy place. And things that seem to normalize now, you're like, what? What on earth? You know? So I think it's just, yeah, it is really funny how you don't develop really consciousness of some of these things until you actually leave the country. And yeah, I think, so yeah, I think my my identity is has changed from being more other in the sense of being Taiwanese mixed race when I was living in the U.S. to being other American being in the U.K. And I'm kind of conscious sometimes of being the American person. You know, when people ask you about things like, oh, in America, what do they think about blah, 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 you know, and you're, you're being put on the spot to speak for all Americans everywhere kind of thing. Yeah. So you do develop much more of a consciousness around that. I think regarding being mixed race, I don't know if my perception of that has changed from moving from the US to the UK exactly. But I think being mixed race, I think, is something which I think has always been a little 
challenging for us. And I know you've talked about this before, just because, you know, of our background, I think it was being raised in a family where we maybe didn't have as much connection to that heritage in a lot of ways as potentially some of our peers might have had. And I think that that has made it difficult and that you want to kind of then reclaim that connection, which you maybe didn't get earlier on and figuring out negotiating how to do that as an adult is hard because I think you come to realization that nobody is going to do that for you. You know, mm. you can't rely on family members or other people to, to make that connection. It's you have to do it. Um, and it has to be something that you're doing for yourself because you want to, and nobody else is going to necessarily assist you in doing it. So you kind of have to take ownership of it and make that about something that you're doing for yourself. And yeah, so I think that that's, it's been a weird journey of realization there and kind of my thinking moving from I, my mixed race identity is being part of kind of associated with very strongly associated with my family and family background. And then slowly as I growing up, kind of moving more towards something that's centering in myself and being about something that I'm thinking about for myself. So yeah, so there's kind of just been this slow kind of transition there, I guess. Yeah, I really, I mean, we have the same background, of course, so I know what you mean. <laughs> but really? Yeah, I really, yeah, wow. But I do think that it is very important what you said about, you know, finding it for yourself and not blaming other people. Because I know that when I was younger, I and I guess we kind of joke about this sometimes, even now, but we'll joke about like, well, why didn't dad teach us Chinese and, you know, kind of feel bitter about it. I think, you know, I did have a little bit of bitterness about it of like, why didn't he teach me? Why didn't he teach me? But then at the same time, like when I was younger, I don't really think I wanted to learn about it. Like I was not interested in learning about Taiwan. I kind of, I didn't want to be different. So on one hand, I well, on the one hand, like I kind of, I, I blamed, you know, our dad for a long time of like, why didn't he teach us better? Or why didn't he make me learn Chinese? But then, you know, on the other hand, like, well, this is my own life. And I wasn't really ready at that time to learn Chinese. So I don't know, like when you were younger, did you feel like you were very like cognizant of your Taiwanese identity because we were kind of othered while living in the States? Or was it more of a process of like, sort of trying to reject it and become more American. Because for me, I kind of felt like I, I wanted to reject it when I was younger. And then I just wanted to be more American. I think, yeah, I think because it's, I feel like it's not necessarily about rejecting one or the other, but that it's, there's always this tension and that you're being pulled between the two sides of your identity, you know, because we're half white as well. So that's also part of our heritage, right? So there's this tension between trying to connect to the kind of both sides of your heritage simultaneously. And the difficulty in that. So 
you know, I think when I, when we were younger, I think not that I would necessarily want to reject my Taiwanese heritage, but also that, for example, feeling sad that people wouldn't necessarily recognize us as being related to our own family members because we didn't look like we were related to them because we're a different race. So things like that. So there's just that kind of sense of, sadness and that you're always on the outside there's 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 no you know and in some ways i think that's why we've always been super close because you you know it's like this is the only other person that really gets the situation that you're in so you know mm -hmm. this is not like there's a large group of people that that you can kind of connect to that really understand that tension. And I wouldn't say that, you know, again, it's not that parents not wanting to understand that or anything like that. But I think it's more that it's a really hard thing to understand if you're not in it. I think it's just you kind of have to have that lived experience to really be able to to access that feeling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I am fully aware. I think this is a particularly interesting one, not only because like you two are sisters, and, but also because um, I think it's kind of the first time where we're addressing U.S. and U.K. experiences because a lot of our content has been um, very U.S. focused because of the people on the team. But I think I just have to have to just say this bit. And I, I think that you it's so validating to hear everything that I've been complaining to Adrian and what I've been thinking about the UK. <laughs> so and that's it's it's really good. But I think what I do want to address is the fact that I think in the UK, I guess the US is a little bit better, but we are lumped into a group. And I'm not going to cheapen it further and say like, oh, we're all Asian. Like, I think we've had very similar experiences. I've been other too, just that like I've been othered in, in a different way. But what I find really weird in the UK, Mercy, you're saying this earlier is yeah i think i think they are this i think people here are are the same but i think in many ways like everyone is so behind the narrative i think at least like in the u.s if you are other you can at least find someone that's in your community like with some level of effort but here it's just constant isolation this lack of refusal to address what's going on and this i mean this the soul report was just like blasphemous you know saying there's no racism here just lumping us all into this beam category just you know so i guess i'm just i'm just curious i don't know if this is like controversial but when i've had conversations with white people here or like other asian people here you know i'm enraged because people insult me by when people are feeling malicious i feel like their go-to insult is the classic like oh but you're chinese right thereby not addressing the fact that there are other countries in asia it's kind of that kind of like low-level joke but when I like bring this all up to other people here, their response usually is kind of like, no, but they just don't know where Asia is. It's fine. It's fine. So I guess I'm just curious, like, you know, as Adrian said, I'm, I'm kind of loving this new language being come about. I feel like there's a long way to go. What 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 do you, what do you think? Um, do you agree? Like, do you disagree? What have your experiences in that sense have been like? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've actually not lived in England ever, so I don't know what it's like compared to Scotland. I do think that, yeah, there's that. It is interesting, I guess, in that you're right that like the community here is really small. Uh, you so rarely come across someone 
that's also of East Asian heritage that whenever I see anyone, you just immediately clock them like from across the street, blocks away. You're like, there's another East Asian person. Oh my God. And you just want to like run up to them and be like, let's be best friends forever. Other East Asian person. That's the only other East Asian person I've seen in months kind of thing. So yeah, I think there is a little bit of that. And I think the the lack of recognition as well of the kind of diversity within that group because it is really small. So you're right, you don't get the same uh, communities here that you get in the U.S. where they're much larger groups. There, There's not a significant Taiwanese immigrant population here, for example, that I could like connect to and hang out with if I wanted to. Um, I mean, there's not even a significant East Asian immigrant population really that I could connect to and hang out with. So it's it is really, you're right, it is super isolating in that way. And you do have a weird kind of sense of not, I guess, yeah, like almost like a loss of identity and that you're just like, you're just a big pot of as far as the UK government is concerned. It's like all you other people. It's that you're just one in the miscellaneous group that they don't really care about that much. So because, you know, we're kind of much smaller population. So it's just like, you're just in the other category. Like, I think I had mentioned to you before when we spoke about my frustration with, for example, the way that this is this is my personal bone to pick, but the way that he says this race reporting, so he says the higher education kind of reporting um, statistics group, they the way that they organize race is they lump together race and nationality together. So they the groups will be things like you know like um, like white Scottish or you know English Scottish or English Scottish English white or something like that, and you know and so it's very confusing as to how you're supposed to determine how to answer these questions. So some of the questions, like some of the the categories they have are things like mixed race, you know, Chinese mixed race or something like that. And it's like, well, do I fall into this category? I mean, like technically, I guess you could say that ethnically, I, you know, our family is Han Chinese background. So that could maybe be, but I definitely don't identify as being Chinese. So in any type of nationality way. So my identity is very strongly not Chinese. So that makes me feel like, okay, so I guess I shouldn't tick that box. But then what, what, what's the other box? Just other just other. So it's just kind of like, you know, you're just aware that you're just kind of in this miscellaneous group. I've complained about this to Adrian before. Mm -hmm. So it's just really validating. Sorry, Adrian, go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just gonna say that yeah, I, like I've spoken on this before on other podcasts, I'm sure. But like when Marissa and I were growing up, it was very strongly ingrained in us. It's like, you are Taiwanese, you are not Chinese. So it's like, even though, yeah, I guess our ethnicity is Chinese. It's like, no, we can never like, <laughs> can never say Chinese, like it's Taiwanese. <laughs> you don't want people to misconstrue through like what you're saying as a political like nationalist identity where it's like no this is like an ethnic identity not a nationalist identity i was having this conversation to one with one of my other friends who is also a mixed race and she said that she just clicked ticks other and i was like i took other too but it shouldn't be like that do you know what i mean because we have different identities but she was saying that she spoke to someone who worked in some government census bureau here and it's because there aren't like enough east asians to warrant a category and i was like is that is that actually their reasoning like there aren't 
enough people. But then I look, you know, you look at populations in London and we, we do exist. So I just find it a bit ridiculous. Surely this is supposed to account for Northern Ireland, Scotland and England and Wales. And we can't even get a special category. Well, no, just a category, period. So, sorry, I just had to say that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, because, yeah, I think, well, as as is a surprise to no one, ticking the other box is extremely othering. <laughs> so it's not exactly a good feeling ticking that box. But I think it is interesting, you know, like even in the U.S., right, where there is much more diversity, there's still lumping together of East Asian ethnicities. So that was a big thing during the last census and has been kind of pointed out by activist groups before that doing many people disservice and that they are lumping together a lot of different Asian ethnicities together and reporting on that as a combined group, which then disadvantages certain communities within that within that group. So, you know, although, you know, this this clearly is a problem, but it's I guess it's also surprising one would think that even in a country like the US that has a much bigger population, much more diverse background, there is still this problem. And I think, you know, with being mixed too as well, can be even harder to find which category you're in. So usually I just check the Asian box and the white box. You know, I just just go for both. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Because it's like we are both, right? So sometimes it's also hard to figure out, well, how exactly do I want to report myself as a, a mixed person? Okay, so I read this article recently that was talking about the language of like being mixed race and whether to call someone biracial and all of that jazz. And then I was just reading the comments and it it really seemed to me that th this person it was like half Chinese and half Japanese. And so they're like, it's really weird when people automatically assume when I say mixed race and they haven't seen me, they assume I'm half white. So mm -hmm. I was just curious. Obviously, this is a space where I, I don't have direct experience. So I just found it incredibly interesting. And when you two were now navigating your identity, like earlier on, when you were trying to describe like, oh, I'm have a mixed race or whatnot trying to find the right terminology to describe yourselves and obviously you to do have white heritage but when you interacted with people as you were navigating that earlier on did most people just automatically assume like you two were white or was there even a discussion yeah i guess um i mean in our cases we we are both half white so i guess it's not necessarily having that disconcerting experience of having that not be correct assumption. Although, yeah, I'm aware that many people, yes, will will assume that. I think as well, there's also kind of some interesting stereotypical assumptions about what that looks like as well. And that like, for example, most people would assume that our mother is Asian and that our father is white. And that's the kind of stereotypical assumption. I remember once seeing just randomly passing through an airport and there was just a big ad on the wall for just something totally benignly random, like a, I don't know, insurance company or something like this. But in the picture, there's a couple where 
the man was Asian and the woman was white. And I literally just, I just stopped in the middle of the airport. It was like, I was so weirdly moved by this random insurance ad because I had never seen my experience represented before like that. And it was just, it was such a strange thing that I hadn't even thought about up to that point that like, that would be something that would even be important to me. And then after seeing it and realizing the kind of just this hit by this heavy wave of emotion, I was like, oh my God, I just, I had no idea that this was, that that was even something that I wanted until it happened. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I always come across that as well. Like whenever I meet people, they always assume that my dad is white if I tell them I'm mixed. But I mean, I think rather than, like I haven't really had any assumptions, like, like Marissa said, we haven't, because we are half white, we don't really have that just concerning type of feeling of being wrongly assumed to be half white because we are half white. But at the same time, I do think it is quite interesting what kind of assumptions people make about where we are from just based on how we look. So I've, I often ask people where they think I'm from and I've just gotten so many different answers that it's just, it's very interesting. I don't know. In in some ways it's kind of, it's interesting, but at the same time, sometimes it feels a little bit saddening. Like, oh, I don't feel like I'm a good representation of uh, mixed Asian American. Like they, they can't tell where I'm from. I'm a fraud. <laughs> like I was talking with my, um, my Chinese tutor and she was saying, and I told her that my mom is white. And then she was really surprised because I mean, she knows my dad is Taiwanese because I'll tell him, uh, tell her about him, like teaching me Chinese and stuff all the time. But so she was like, oh, your mother is white. Like, I didn't realize that, you know, looking at you, I thought you were full Taiwanese. And there was like part of me that felt a little bit like happy to kind of be accepted as Taiwanese. But then the other part of me feels like, why can't you see my mother and me too? I'm a product of both my parents. Like, I want to represent both of them. So it's, I don't know, I guess kind of this strange dichotomy of like, you kind of want people to know where you're from and you kind of want people to understand you and you want them to accept you as how you identify yourself. You just reminded me of a story that I remember mom saying, and I think you must have heard this as well. Yeah, I, I think, think I know what story you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it just, um, it's just funny, like, because I remember mom um, telling a story about like one time when we were all at, I don't know, the pool or something like this. We were out with her somewhere and she said that like we were off playing and another woman saw our family and came over to her and said like, oh yeah, I'm, I, you know, I also have adopted children. And my mother was just like, she was so taken aback. I mean, it was just, she was so hurt as well. That it was like, this woman couldn't see that we were her children. I just, yeah, I just really think about that all the time, especially having a child who is quarter Taiwanese so doesn't really read as Taiwanese to the vast majority of people, whereas I, to most people, visually read as being at least part, partly of East Asian heritage. So yeah, it's just something that really just occupies a great deal of my brain, even to this day. Going on talking about, you know, being a mother, has 
being a mother changed how you look back on your childhood? What do you think is the most important thing to teach your child? I don't know, maybe about our identity or, you know, you can take it however you want. I think, yeah, being a parent definitely makes me look at my childhood really differently and that when you're when you're young you think that all of the things that your parents do are like things that they do deliberately to calculated things that they've done to just mess with your life kind of thing and then like looking back you're like actually they probably had no idea what they were doing and they were probably just like really tired most of the time and they didn't even remember that thing that they said to me that one time that like I've dwelled on for years afterwards kind of thing. So, you know, it's like, it just really, I think it, it gives you a great deal more appreciation and maybe forgiveness of some of the things that happened that you weren't happy about because you realize that they were just muddling through most of the time and probably, you know, we're just just trying to basically make it through with some amount of love and maybe they didn't get it right all the time, but that's kind of like, I don't also don't get it right all the time. So that's just kind of how it is. I think as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, because I mentioned that my son doesn't really necessarily read as Taiwanese to most people. And I think that it's just interesting, I guess, in that it's really important to me that he has some connection to that heritage, though, because that's something that I think that we didn't have growing up and have maybe regretted a little bit later in life. So that's something that I do want him to have. But I also wonder what that connection will be like for him. I mean, I don't know what he will look like when he grows up, but at the moment he is like fair haired, bluey green eyes definitely does not look like he has some kind of, you know, Asian heritage, like mostly reads as Caucasian. So conscious that even as I try to give him that connection to many people, he would still read as being, you know, an other. He wouldn't necessarily visually read as being part of that community that growing up, he probably will have to, I guess, deal with some amount of kind of personal tension in his identity surrounding that. And that's just kind of unavoidable in a way, but just kind of always very conscious of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, because his middle name is is Chinese as well, right? Yeah. And, I yeah. mean, you know how we felt like when I was younger and I had a Chinese name, like, for my middle, well, I still have a Chinese name for middle name, but when I was younger, I felt I didn't like my middle name because I felt like it kind of marked me as other. When you're amongst all the other kids and you're trading middle names, I'm like, oh, my middle name is Mary and stuff. Like, and I couldn't even pronounce my own middle name. I felt so like, I don't know, it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to have, you know, but at the same time, I'm really glad that he does have that connection to Taiwan. And I, I really hope that he does have a stronger connection to Taiwan through you and all your efforts to teach him Chinese than than we had when we were kids. Yeah, I think, yeah, because I think so happy as well that we managed to, because, you know, the tradition in our family is to have that, you know, to have the the kind of the, the Chinese middle name selected by grandparents. And I think he may have been the last one really to to get that. So that's like really a gift that I hope he will will treasure in future. I don't know how he'll feel about it when, you know, when he grows up. But to me, that's obviously quite important that he's gotten that. Yeah, I'm quite jealous. Like, I didn't get to have children soon enough to get that. 
I'm too slow. <laughs> Snooze, you lose. <sighs> yeah, well, you know, even if he doesn't appreciate when he's a kid, I hope he appreciates it when he grows up. <laughs> so how do you practice self-care while being a mother? <sighs> um, <laughs> kind of like you don't, but, you know, you do just in the in the little moments that you get to yourself. I think just basically trying to make some space for yourself in the kind of day-to-day life. You know, I always try to think of that. It's like the oxygen mask analogy on like airplanes. It's like, you know, where you have to put the mask on yourself first. So if I don't take care of myself, that means that I can't take care of him because I won't have the resources to do that. I think always just trying to make sure that I do have some kind of at least some little bit of like mental space for myself time during the day to to read. I mean, I think it's like extremely grateful to whoever invented ebooks because now I can read every second of the day, which annoys partner no end. So he's like, just all that reading is just going to rot your brain. Just put that book right down. But yeah, I think I'm one of those annoying people, as you know, that will like even read like the back of cereal boxes because I'm just so desperate for reading material. So <laughs> just trying to make some time to, to do that every day and to just kind of have some space to, to just be by myself. Huge thanks to Marissa for being on the podcast, for her time and sharing her insights with us. And thank you to you all for listening to this episode.
yeah. Thank you. So nice to chat okay. with you both. Thanks so much for Bye. your time. Thank Bye. You.